Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. I'm going to do something really stereotypical and boring and talk to you about the weather, but I think it's not so boring because we've had some pretty crazy weather here in Germany lately. So first off, it is so freaking cold. It's like negative 10 in some parts of Germany. Luckily, not where I am. We're still hovering around zero or slightly below. And that's Celsius, folks. So that's pretty darn cold. Though I have to say, I when I was living in Chicago, survived some negative 12, 15 degree days and that's Fahrenheit. So could be worse. I've definitely survived worse. Anyway, snow and the cold are not as interesting as the next weather item I wanted to mention, which is the crazy orange glow that graced Germany and parts of Switzerland and I think Spain last Saturday. What do I mean by orange glow? literally that like you look out the window and everything looks normal except like someone put an orange filter on it or like you're wearing tinted sunglasses but they're orange tinted i totally forgot that this happened the first year i'd moved to germany and i did not believe the answer when people told me what that was because they told me that that was sahara sand now when i had just moved to germany i was still figuring out the lay of the land, both literally and metaphorically. I, I just couldn't fathom that notion. I just, I, I don't know, it was mind blowing to me. And honestly, when this orange glow happened last weekend, and I remembered, oh, right, that Sahara sand, I still couldn't believe it. So I read a bunch of different articles all telling me, yep, that's Sahara sand. But it's still just so totally magical to me that I my mind's just blown. <laughs> Basically, what happens is the Sahara in some of the northwestern countries in Africa, the wind gets swept up into a really high elevation and then it's blown by the wind. And by the time the wind is getting it down back to land, it's up here and yeah, all across different parts of Europe. So you can't really sense that it's dust. You're not like sneezing, like you have allergies or something like that. But there's videos of people in the snow in like Switzerland, for instance, where the dust settled onto the snow and the video shows them like peeling away the top layer of the snow, which is this muddled orange color to get beneath it to the pure white snow. I retweeted a video of someone in Switzerland playing around in the snow. So you can check that out there. But yeah, I just thought I'd share that because that's something that is really special to me. Okay, enough about the weather. (laughs) Time for today's episode. I was really excited to get connected with this week's guest, Reina. She is from Chicago. So I, I moved from Chicago to Germany and she moved from Chicago to New Zealand, actually. I was really struck by the fact that she was the first female in her family to do a couple different things, including move abroad. Now, if you'll remember the season four finale episode about role models, I gathered together stories from different expats about who their expat role models are. For some people, they were family members, but for a lot of us, it was friends or even made up characters or authors, people we haven't even met. Because so many of us do this without having any model of how this is supposed to work. Now, of course, because I made a whole episode about it, you can assume that this topic's been on my mind for a while. But typically with episodes like that, I'll address a topic that I've been thinking about for a while. And in doing the episode, it sort of puts the topic to rest for me. I feel like I've thought it through, got some maybe not answers, but come to some conclusions and I can move on in my head. But this topic, I really haven't moved on from. I think about it a whole lot. And this episode today really is in line with that because Reina, like me and like so many of us, did this without having a role model. But what's really amazing, as you'll hear in her story, in doing this without a role model, she became that role model for others in her family. 
And I like to think or hope that that's true for a lot of us too. So let's go ahead and get to it. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Raina O'Mara. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, in the United States, and I've been here in Wellington, New Zealand for a little over four years now. Normally, I dive right into the expat part of things, but with you, I want to jump back to Chicago and to your sort of origin story of what it was like for you growing up in Chicago and what your family environment's like. Yeah, so um, I am of Puerto Rican descent, and uh, most of my family's in the States. I have some family in Puerto Rico. And uh, growing up, it was really family-oriented. We had a church family as well that we were a big part of. And um, all my aunts and uncles would come over every Sunday, and we would all have lunch together. And yeah, um, I lived upstairs from my grandparents, and my aunt is only two years older than me. So we grew up more like sisters uh, than aunt and niece. It was all around food and connection, and I had a million cousins. My favorite memories are of us, all of us cousins, like sitting around the TV watching Saturday morning cartoons together or chasing down the ice cream man. I lived in the south side of Chicago in a primarily Hispanic neighborhood, and that kind of sense of family extended out through the neighborhood. My grandfather used to grow his own vegetables and stuff and give some to the community. Everything was very interconnected, and I was never alone. I always had a million people around me, and it was really fun. You're saying that so many of your family members all lived in this community together, in this area together. When you were growing up, what were your expectations for your future or what expectations did your family have generally, but also geographically? Growing up, I always loved art and music. I'm a classically trained pianist. I've been playing since the age of five. I always assumed that I would be a professional piano player. My piano teacher told me, you know, unless you want to play Christmas time at Macy's, there really isn't much of a career anymore for professional piano players. So um, I went for my second love, which was art. A lot of my family members had skill in art, and we would often create plays together and do skits in church. We would draw together and color together and write and record our own cartoon episodes and things like that. So art was always kind of part of my narrative. And my grandparents, as I mentioned, they lived downstairs from us. My grandfather always pushed education. He always said education is the most important thing. He always told me, uh, Reinita, they can take away your money. They can take away your freedom. But the only thing no one can ever take away from you is your education, your knowledge. And he's like, go out there and learn as much as you can. You know, Blue Island, uh, where I grew up, wasn't the richest neighborhood. It was very meager means. And I had aspirations to explore the world, do more. I, I love the idea of traveling even when I was young. Yeah, and I knew that education was going to be a really important part of my life just because my parents, my grandparents, they always kind of pushed education. So you mentioned to me when we were talking before the episode, you were actually 
one of the first people in your family and the first female to go to college. So tell us about that. How did that happen? And and what did it feel like at the time? Like, did you feel aware that this was a, a first? And, and did that mean something to you, to your family? When I was in high school, someone from the college that I would end up going to came to speak to my art class about how you can have a career in art in the movie industry. And I loved Star Wars. And they did a whole presentation <laughs> about you can do special effects in Star Wars or 3D animation or graphic design. I had always been surrounded by art, but I didn't know I could actually make a career out of it by going to college for it. And so that just opened up my eyes and I was like, this is what I want to do. But I didn't know how to go about it. Being the first female in my family to go to college, it was all very new. But I remember my mom and my dad, they were very adamant in, we'll figure this out together computer animation that was still relatively new at that time, especially for females in the industry. There weren't a lot of females in gaming or computer arts. My mom, she just went to town and just did so much research and she got me in to the school to do a walk around and everything. And I just fell in love with it. I had to learn how to take the train downtown and it was very exciting growing up in, you know, South Side of Chicago in that little town going to the big city was very exciting. And I remember my grandparents being so nervous, me being a young lady going downtown by myself. You know, a lot of the males had gone away to school and it was like, oh, they'll be fine. But for me, they were just like very protective. And they actually went with me a few times for me to get used to it. I remember they were very proud. They would often say to anybody who would pass by, oh, look, this is my granddaughter. This is my daughter. She's going to college. She's going to work in the movies. She's going to, she does art. The support that I got was immense. It, it really helped me to keep going even when paying for college became very difficult. You know, being the first female in my family to go to college, uh, it, there wasn't a lot of information about how to get funding and how much it would actually cost. And so uh, I was able to take advantage of a couple of Hispanic student grants, uh, especially being a female Hispanic. There were a couple of grants and I uh, graduated top 11% in my class in high school. And so I uh, had some academic scholarships as well. I remember, I don't know if you remember the who's who, you know, if you were top 10% in the U.S., you got your picture taken and put in this yearbook. I actually got my picture taken and put in the who's who, and they sent me a certificate saying, congratulations, you're exceptional student. And then underneath in, in fine print, it said, in the minority group. And so uh, I was like, oh, that kind of takes away. <laughs> A little bit, but you know, I'll take it because I, I wanted to take whatever leg up I could to kind of make that dream a reality. Yeah, a couple of years later, I graduated and I started working in the arts. I have to say, you gave me chills a couple times telling that story because it's so impressive. I mean, to be such a go getter and to have your sights set on something like that that you don't have a blueprint for how to get there necessarily, or maybe you do, but it's from other male family members. It's just a little different for you. And then also, gosh, education in the US is expensive, but art school is famously even more outrageously expensive. So just to be jumping all of those different hurdles at the same time, I mean, yeah, that's really, really impressive. I think 
sometimes people can can take for granted a bit how having someone do something like college before you can be such a help because there's so many life skills that you just don't have or, or school skills that you just don't have because college is so different than school. So to excel like that is really, really impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I remember the hours my mom spent pouring over the course syllabus trying to figure out how it would work so that I could graduate in the shortest amount of time possible so that we could afford for me to continue to go. You know, certain times that there were art projects that were due, my family would stay up with me and they would help me with the projects. They're like, just tell us what we need to do and we'll help you. So the support really was what kept me going. Well, okay. And so let's get to this this huge change that we know comes in your story at one point. You go from living in this super supportive, really tight family community to living in New Zealand. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that the whole family wasn't able to come with you. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. So um, I met uh, this wonderful man, Rick, and he worked for NetherRealm Studios in the video game industry. After we were married, he was telling me, oh, I'd really love to work in feature films. And of course, that was a passion of mine as well. I was like, yeah, I'd love to. But, you know, we have our family here. We have all of our friends. I'm just used to that support network. You know, I don't want to move for anything other than like something big, like Disney or Pixar or something. Sure enough, what a digital called and offered him a job in the film industry. And of course they made Lord of the Rings, which Rick and I are huge fans of Lord of the Rings. We found out it was in Wellington, New Zealand, which I didn't even know where that was on a map. (laughs) Um, I think I called it the Netherlands for like the first few weeks. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, we're, we're going to do this. This is going to be amazing. I had never even been to New Zealand, but Rick and I both had passion for travel. And we had every summer that we were together, we traveled somewhere else. We went to Jamaica, we went to Ireland, we, we got married in Dominican Republic. It just made sense to make this jump. So then I was like, oh no. I have to break it to my family. How do you do it? How do you break it to the family? So I had a family meeting with my parents and I sat them down and I remember it like it was yesterday. I said, uh, mommy, papi, papi means dad in Spanish. Rick got an amazing job offer to work in feature films. And my mom and dad were like, oh, that's amazing. My brother was like, oh, that's so cool. They're like, where is it? You're going to have to move to California, huh? And then I said, no, we're going to have to move to New Zealand, which is like 26-hour flight from here. And then a pause. And my mom was like, when are you supposed to leave? And then my dad, he turned to Rick and he said, okay how much money are you going to make before taxes? (laughs) And I said, dad, your only daughter is moving halfway across the world. And you ask him that? And he's like, I'm a father. I want to make sure that my only daughter is taken care of financially. And so um, my mom was kind of on the emotional side of, I can't believe she's moving so far. And my dad was like, I just want to make sure her basic needs are met. So after we assured my dad that I would be financially fine, (laughs) because 
I also work too, remember? Like <laughs> my mom, you know, I we talked about, you know, visits back home and Weta had a great program where they would pay for you to come back home at the end of your contract because it was just supposed to be a six month contract. So my mom was like, well, it's not for that long. And then my mom was like, oh, she's like, wait, now we have to break it to the bigger family, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles. This is exactly what I was sitting here wondering because I know I, I have a pretty close and large family too. And I know how it works in my family. You tell the one aunt and then everyone finds out and you don't have to deal with it. So was it like that with you? You have that one person who you know is going to talk and you can just tell them and let them amplify it. We went to my grandma's house uh, on one of those Sunday afternoons where we know everyone, all the aunts and uncles, everybody's going to be there. We explained to my grandparents as best we could because, you know, they their English was kind of spotty. And so trying to explain to them that we were moving to New Zealand, it took a little bit to get them to understand we're going to work in feature films in New Zealand. <laughs> and my grandmother, once she understood, she turned to Rick and she said, this is your fault. Reinita would never <laughs> leave us. She would never leave us. This is your doing. And she was just like so upset. Me being the first female to kind of leave, leave the country, leave the family nest, that was um, a, a lot for them to understand. My aunts and uncles, they're like, why, why do you have to leave? And it's like, well, we have to go where the job is. My little cousins, they were so excited and they were like, this is so cool. This My family's going to work in feature films. We're going to see your name in the movie credits. It's going to be so cool. And while we were prepping to leave over the next couple weeks, my cousins started looking into studying movie directing and studying movie producing. So I actually have a few cousins who just recently finished their degrees in directing and producing. Wow. So you you made waves right away. That's incredible. Yeah, it was really cool to see them get encouraged to kind of pursue their dreams as well. And then we had things that we could talk about because we could talk about how Rick made the transition and how they could also make that transition, much to their mom's dismay. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like you're not going to move away like Kena, are you? And my little cousin, she was pretty young at the time, but she told me, she's like, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to come visit you in New Zealand. So it was really great to see that passion in them and see that the gender barrier was kind of broken and that uh, the family accepted that women can move abroad to pursue their careers too. That's exactly why it's so worth highlighting that you were the first female because the first of anything means there's not an example for you to follow. But in being the first, you become that role model for so many other people. And often, I think a lot of us probably don't even know it. It might be these connections of, of friends or family members who we don't see as often. We maybe don't know that we're making the impact or maybe the impact's not so direct and tangible. But in your case, you're going ahead and doing this brave big thing that hadn't been done before. And right away, you get to see that for these people in your family who are coming after you, that won't be true anymore. You know, there's going to be at least two models of how to be an adult and be a woman in this world. You can do the model where you stay, but you can also do the model where you go. And and now they just have a little bit more to choose from as they figure out what to do with their lives. And that's really 
really powerful. Yeah. And there were some naysayers that were like, oh, well, you're going to move out there and nothing's going to happen or you'll fail or you won't actually make it to the movies or you'll just work on some commercial or something. But I actually ended up working at Weta Workshop, managing a team of designers there. And then my husband working at Weta Digital, he actually worked on the Avengers Endgame film. So he has his name in those credits. And it was really cool to see that even the naysayers were tagging us on Facebook like, oh, I see your name. I see your name. <laughs> you can only say nay so long until when someone's in the, the Avengers. You can't really say nay to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so like that, that kind of like in Hispanic families, usually the woman plays the support role. And I was glad to play that role in helping my husband to be able to pursue his dreams, but also be able to pursue mine as well, working at what a workshop and still being in that film industry that I dreamt of when I was 10 years old, working on little plays with my aunts and uncles. It's just so cool. Also, the movies. I mean, there's an undeniable cool factor to it, which I think also gets you some street cred, you know, it's like <laughs> automatically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was there any narrative from the family about why you had to go somewhere else? I, I know I've, I've heard it sometimes in my own family and, and from other people, this mindset that's commonly spread and taught in the US, which is it's the best country. It's everyone yes. wants to come here. And so when someone chooses to go elsewhere, it can be really confusing and, and almost offensive for others in the family. Did you experience that? Um, I experienced my family saying, why can't you find work in Chicago? Can't you find work in California? There's so many movie studios in California. And we understood where they were coming from with that. It wasn't from a negative space base. It was more, they were just trying to find ways of keeping us near them. The younger generation kind of understood, but it, I think it was still very difficult for my grandparents to understand. So when you did start making the move, you know, we, we talked about what it felt like in terms of this family pressure, or at least the stress of having to communicate all of this. But how was it for you sort of looking forward? It, it sounds like you had your career and your husband's career as anchors in this journey abroad. But was it ever tough not having a role model to turn to not, not having someone to say, ah, okay, this is how you do this? Yeah, we did have a friend that lived in Chicago that worked at Weta. So he kind of helped us with some tips and tricks and things. And then Weta had a really great placement program. So we had a specialist that drove us around and helped us to understand the community. They have like their own like kind of realty section. So they placed us in apartment. That was really cool. They gave us like a welcome thing. But yeah, it was really difficult at first because I was actually very ill. I had to have some like low level chemo before I came out to New Zealand. And so I was kind of recovering from that. And so I was in a new space, a new country. I didn't know anything about the area and all the food was so foreign to me. Like, you know, when you're sick, you just want what you know. And I couldn't find any food that I recognized. Everything just seemed so foreign. And I, I kept trying to taste different things and didn't like anything. And it was so frustrating being so sick. And Rick had to work during the day. So it, it was very difficult for me at first. And also going through a bit of withdrawal of not having family and friends around, coming from that big family where I was never alone. And then all of a sudden, 
I was here in a different country, sick, couldn't find food, really miserable and going through withdrawal. And I had to like put on the TV and the radio at the same time just to feel like I wasn't alone, like feel more like I was back home. I remember also the the shock of how easy it is to get food in Chicago. You know, you could just walk down the street and get anything you want at any time of day. Here I was on a Monday afternoon and I couldn't find one restaurant that was open. Yeah, I mean, the first year abroad's never gonna be easy, but that's so many things to be going on at the same time. The move abroad, but also adjusting to not having family around and being ill and just all of it. So yeah, what are some of the methods that you developed to feel more okay in this new life? So uh, I Skyped a lot with family and friends, which really helped. I ended up scheduling Skype calls with certain friends or certain family members every week so that I could have that to look forward to. As far as food goes, my best friend, she would mail me snacks from America so that I could just like, you know, (laughs) eat those chips ahoy and like feel like I had that little slice of home, which was so comforting. And then also I took on a freelance job from this company that is in the U.S. They were really accommodating to me living in New Zealand and getting used to the whole expat life. So I was able to just work when I could, being that I was kind of recovering from this sickness. Actually, being able to work really helped to kind of move forward. And then slowly but surely, you start getting to know the food spots around and things like that. There's this Facebook group called Weta Wives, and it's all wives of Weta employees. You can go on there at any time and ask like, hey, does anybody know a good burger place? And it's a lot of expats like myself. So that really helped. And then lastly, we found a, a church home here in Wellington. And that really helped because it kind of gave me something to do. And being that church was so involved in my life back home in the States, I kind of missed that like deeper spiritual connection with friends. And so it was really nice to be able to start developing that as well. And so you mentioned a while back that this was actually a six month contract. I threw out the first year abroad because I know you ended up staying four, but um, yeah, yeah, what happened there? How did you guys end up staying? And, And what's also always interesting to me is to hear how long was the hard part for you? I mean, I think a year is usually a solid benchmark. Most people struggle for around a year, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear that from you. Yeah. I'd say the first six months were the hardest because We didn't know if we were going back to the States. We didn't know if we were going to stay. We didn't know if we were ever going to acclimate. Sometimes it seems like it's it's a losing battle. So after the first six-month contract, what I actually paid for us to go home, but they offered us a renewal for a year. We loved it so much in Wellington from the perspective of the work was so rewarding. And Wellington is so gorgeous and all natural. And it's a very safe area too. Like crime is so low. And that was really nice as well. And then there's a perk where I actually got a job interview at what a workshop they offered to hire me after we came back from visiting to the U.S., So there was definitely a lot of stuff for us to look forward to when we came back. So I think just going home and like seeing everyone and like 
being able to recharge, being able to have like my Krispy Kreme and my Starbucks and (laughs) (laughs) all that stuff. Oh my gosh, go to Target. Oh, Target. (laughs) (laughs) And getting all that love from friends and family, it just hit the recharge button and we were ready to go back. And then by the time we came back, I started at Weta, Rick continued on his next film project, and that was when we really hit the ground running. Now you said you've been here for years, you've, you've got much more of a settled life. So what are the main things that you've learned? What are some skills that you picked up along the way, especially if there's anyone listening to this episode who's also maybe the first in their family? What are some insights you can share? One of the things is, even though your family may not understand at first, They will come around. Know that if you do experience some pushback, it's not from a bad place. It's from a good place because they love you. They want you to be safe. They want you to be taken care of. And I think that sometimes being the first just means that you have to show them that you are capable of that. I think another way of acclimating when you're an expat, get part of those expat groups in your local community. Find a place where you can go that has other expats that you can hang out with and talk with. Because getting used to like a new society, new rules, new ways of interacting with people, that's all something that you can learn together as an expat group. And then scheduling video chats with friends or family, like setting a time every week, I think that helps as well. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I felt like uh, as someone who grew up with a family all around them all the time, I I then moved far away, but within the US. And actually, it took moving to Germany to get way better about keeping in touch because Ah. then you had a time difference. You had to schedule a weekly Skype date or, you know, things like that. You had to really work to keep in touch. And so it put it in my mind in a way that when I was elsewhere in the States, I just didn't think about it as much. And all of a sudden, it was three weeks and I hadn't talked to my mom. So yeah, I think that's also something that we probably all through quarantine and lockdown and Corona have gotten a bit better with um, because a lot of more people are (laughs) Skyping and Zooming and what have you. But I think that's really something that people who have started doing that during Corona times, it's probably going to keep with us as we move forward. Well, especially during like uh, American holidays or American special events, that's like the perfect time to like set up a Zoom call or a group chat with like family like the Super Bowl is coming up this weekend and I have scheduled a Skype call with my family and we're gonna eat snacks and like watch the game together and snicker at halftime commercials together so you know that's kind of it makes me feel a little bit like I'm back home I I feel like sometimes too some of those things I was not interested in when I was still there I mean the Super Bowl I was like yeah sure whatever but now that I'm far away I'm like oh my gosh no give me Super Bowl give me tailgating give me anything (laughs) that's super typical like it's just so rich in Americana and I'm like yep I need it And we find that our our Wellington friends are actually really curious and excited to be a part of that as well. So like we usually have like 4th of July parties at our house. A big one for us is St. Patrick's Day, my husband being Irish American. We usually do a big St. Patrick's Day party and, you know, Kiwis don't celebrate St. Patrick's Day, but our friends, and they always look forward to celebrating St. Patrick's Day Chicago style with us. That's awesome. Well, and that brings me to one of my zack zack zacks. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have us around the corner and head home with the ending segment, which is called zack zack zack. It's a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions that you answer without 
thinking it, overthinking it. You just go with your gut. I'll give you a hint. Yours are snack themed because we we both love good snack. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is your very favorite American snack? Cheetos cheese puffs. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. 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 Correct answer. I didn't know there was a correct answer until you said it, and now I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite New Zealand snack? Ooh, the their Whitaker's chocolate slabs. Um, I will say that New Zealand has ruined American chocolate for me. Like the quality <laughs> of their chocolate is so amazing. And finally, what is one snack that you like to introduce to your non-American friends abroad? Definitely s'mores. Oh, that's such a good one. Yeah, a, a lot of Kiwis have never had a s'more before and that just like blows my mind. Um, when we had the 4th of July party last year, we had sparklers and s'mores and chili dogs. They they didn't know what chili dogs were. And so, yeah, and so I remember the kids, the first time they had s'mores, they were like, this is amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. And now is the part where I give some space to plug your stuff. And I think it's great that we're talking about snacks right now because you have a pretty cool snack-related thing going on that I'm really excited for you to tell us a little about. So, uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, I'm, like, obsessed with snacks, um, specifically American snacks. And my best friend who used to mail me all the snacks – she is an expert in like businessy stuff. And she's like, hey, Raina, you're a graphic designer. I'm a business person. Let's start this business and help other expats around the world to get the snacks that they miss from home too. And so we created this company called Comfort Eats. And we have shipped American snacks to over 30 countries now. Very exciting. Every continent except for Antarctica. The penguins need to get on it, though. They need to start ordering. I want you to ship to Antarctica. That would be amazing. Yeah, if anyone knows someone from Antarctica, we want to get that seven con- all all continent mark. <laughs> I think that's so freaking cool. And you said the words the the puffy Cheetos earlier, so now it's in my head. We're gonna have to talk. <laughs> I'll link to the website of the the business in the show notes. I think there's a lot of people who would definitely love to to take a look there. <laughs> sure, yeah. And we have like uh, special bundles for every holiday. Like we have a cool Valentine's Day bundle going on right now that's just like quintessential Valentine's stuff like you'd find at Walgreens or whatever. Like, So <laughs> it's mostly, to be honest, just stuff that I miss that I really want. So I asked Brittany to put it in the shop. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show and talking to us. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for sharing with us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was really fun. Thanks again to Raina for coming onto the Expat Cast. Not only was I so excited to hear and now share Raina's story, I'm also pretty darn excited about her snack company. I kid you not, we got off that call and I immediately placed an order because I wanted to get some cheesy puffs. We talked about them and then I needed them. So I'm extra excited to have been connected with Raina. As always, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at The Expat Cast, and you can visit online at theexpatcast.com. And as always, please reach out if you have any comments in this episode or feedback on the show. There's a contact form on the website. You can also leave a review directly on the website and that is a huge help to me. It helps me grow the show, reach new people that could really use some of the stories that we're sharing here. 
I want to thank, as always, Amy Lenghi Art for the logo and Sidehug for the theme music. They're on Instagram at a hug from the side. Next week, I touch back in with a guest all the way from season one who moved back to her home country March of 2020. It is a wild story, you guys. All right, until then, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy and stay safe. This done. Tschüss.